0: is hell. Some people think William Sherman was the first to say it, but the point is, the phrase stuck around. And look at the way the word hell is used. War is probably the worst thing the human race knows, but here, hell is used as a proof. You know how bad war is? It's as bad as hell. So what is this hell that's so bad that it convinces us that one of the most terrible things in the world really is terrible? For a very long time, we've had churches telling us about essentially the worst thing you can imagine. Eternal conscious torment, God's everlasting revenge, fire, suffering, It scared a lot of people into going to church. But isn't God love? How could love do that? And doesn't that punishment seem overblown, even for any crime? And along comes Swedenborg, who says he saw the afterlife and reported that God is love toward everyone and that God never punishes, and yet, Swedenborg visited some very dark places that he himself called hell. How could divine love and wisdom allow something like this to exist? If there is a hell, why? What does it do, and could there ever be anything good about it? We're going to take a look tonight, stay tuned. Welcome back to Swedenborg and Life. This is the show where we look through the recorded spiritual experiences of Emanuel Swedenborg and then we look through life and we see where do they intersect, where do they parallel. Thanks for joining us. My name is Curtis Childs and I'm with the Swedenborg Foundation, which is a nonprofit group that works to get Swedenborg's ideas out into the, the stream of consciousness to see if they do any good there. If you want to be part of this conversation, get your questions and comments in. We're filming this live. We take live questions at the end so that we can know, did we miss anything or do you have insights we didn't have or what's on your mind? Today we're talking about hell, I know, like not the super cool topic, but the, the things Swedenborg describes around it are worth mentioning, which is exactly why we're mentioning them tonight. We're going to get right to it, and we're going to talk first about the nature of the cause. So let's take a look at part one. If you read Swedenborg at all, maybe you came across him in this show, maybe you were one of like 16 people in the world who knew of Swedenborg previously, and you start to thumb through, he's got a lot of different worlds he enters, he's a very philosophical treatises that he embarks on, he's got the encounters with angels, that kind of thing, but he also has a lot of experiences with evil spirits and a lot of trips to hell, so how could there be a hell uh, what, what gives with that? That's what we're going to look at. And so if you go to Swedenborg, you read these experiences he had. As Some people who've had near-death experiences like that, they've also described very hellish places. So, so what's up with that? Well, the hell that Swedenborg describes is kind of like this. There is a dark place that's scary, And there seems to be bad people doing bad things and you need to stay out. But what we're going to look at tonight is what's behind the scenes there. The structure that's actually operating underneath and showing that actually the divine is through unseen methods taming things, organizing things. Those two people wanted to fight. There's these hidden structures holding them back that they may not even be aware of. So today we're going to look at where does divine love and and hell intersect. And so, how is God making the best of a bad situation? And to start, we got to talk about good and evil, and those would be selfish, harmful actions versus loving, altruistic actions. And we have the opportunity to do both because we have free will, and because of free will, there is the possibility to choose evil. It's 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 You can go in the direction of evil, go in the direction of good. That's a big topic. I'm not going to talk about it tonight. We already talked about it a few shows ago. Check out our episode, Why Bad Things Happen, to learn more. Suffice it to say, for tonight, there is the potential of evil. And nobody here is going to dispute that there's a lot of crummy stuff in the world going on. That people can act in really terrible ways. So, we're going to get a little bit now into just how evil evil actually is. And this helps explain why there needs to be this mechanism to deal with it that's hell that we're going to look at. So, first, we're going to look at true Christianity number 45. These are Swedenborg's books here that we're referencing. You can download them for free. Just click this or go to swedenborg.com for a PDF or ebook, no charge. Uh, from the description of divine love's essence, you can also see what the essence of diabolical love is like. It becomes visible by contrast. Diabolical love is a love for oneself. This is called love, but seen in its own right, it really is hatred. It does not love anyone outside itself. It does not want to form a partnership with others in order to bless them. It wants to bless only itself. From deep inside, it constantly strives to dominate all others as to, and to own the good things they have. Eventually, it wants to be adored as God. This is why those who are in hell do not acknowledge God. Instead, they acknowledge as gods those who have power over others. From hell's point of view, then, there are lower and higher gods or lesser and greater gods according to the reach of each one's power." So there it's all about power over others. Because all who are in hell carry love for themselves in their heart. They burn with hatred against their God. The gods, in turn, burn with hatred against all those who are under their thumb. They think of them as vile slaves. They manage to speak softly to them as long as their followers keep showing adoration. They openly rage against all others. Inwardly or at heart, they rage against their followers as well. Love for oneself is the same love you see among thieves, who kiss each other when they are on a job together, but later each burn with desire to kill the others and take their share." So Swedenborg is making a claim about an aspect of human psychology. He's saying that this, this is a potential for the human mind and heart to embark on, that you can start to foster this in yourself. He actually says, we're predisposed towards things like this. We actually have to keep ourselves from slipping into that. But is that, is that true? Are you saying that? Do do we see anything that resembles that kind of um, that kind of really potent negative uh, energy in people? Do we see that? Well, yeah. I mean, sometimes uh, we we have a little interview about where do we potentially see this stuff, and it has to do with restraints being relaxed, that this love, Swedenborg talks about this desire to uh, dominate everyone, take everyone's things, rage against everybody who doesn't serve you, usually is kept in check because we have limited power and we're worried about our reputation and that kind of thing, but what happens when all all the stops are pulled out, there is no, there's nothing holding you back. What does that look like? Well, we've seen some examples of what seemed to be something uh, a lot like that in the
1: world. Money and power do funny things to human beings and uh, I'm going to talk about dictators in a minute, but even in politicians and democracies you can see these things at work. I talk to campaign consultants sometimes and they talk about how politicians, even in America, they get surrounded by people who won't tell them no. They just get yes people and uh, they're told yes all the time and that has an effect on them and they start to lose touch with reality. And you can see some of that in the, in the negative things that happen in government, the corruption. But it's really taken to extremes in dictatorships. Uh, a lot of dictatorships have cults of personality where everything is about the leader. Uh, You can tell when you're in an authoritarian country when the first 10 minutes of the news are about what the leader did that day. Just what he did. He got a telegram that day. He went and visited his brother that day. First 10 minutes is about the leader. Uh, The dictators take it to a different level with their cult of personality when you start to see their picture all over uh, cities, in murals, uh, busts of their heads all over over their palaces. I spent some time in Iraq, and uh, the American military took over one of Saddam Hussein's palaces, and they removed all the murals. His, his home was decorated with pictures of himself on every wall. There were four busts that were six feet tall of his head on the corners of the buildings. Took those down, but what they didn't catch was what I caught when I got there. Uh, the major rooms were all tiled, and every other tile had his initials on them. So between his face, his initials, and his head, the likeness of this person was just permeating the reality of that country. And it it reminded me of that idea that these people want to be seen as gods. They they gobble this stuff up, that that quest for power and control. Taking it to the absolute extreme, you have these horrific historic incidences, especially in the 20th century, of mass killings led by this dictator who is trying to establish control and remake society in his own image or his own ideology, whatever it is, but whether it's national socialism in Germany, Marxist socialism in the Soviet Union, uh, peasant-based socialism in Mao Zedong's China, agrarian socialism in Pol Pot's Cambodia, millions and millions of people killed because these dictators are afraid That people are going to stand in their way of of control achieving their vision whatever it is so that that combination of the the quest for power the quest for enrichment uh seems to indicate that that uh evil doesn't know its bounds and and exceeds all all decency so it's
0: pretty hard to argue that we don't sometimes see what swedenborg is describing there is a condition the human mind can get into where Anybody, if you stand in my way at all, I'm going to kill you. If you don't show me the respect, if I even get nervous about you, I'm taking you out. I'm going to aggrandize myself. I'm taking over everything. So we see that, and Swedenborg also says that it goes even deeper than that. That evil, as it festers and and gets deeper and deeper into your system, turns into a longing not only for rulership but for inflicting suffering on others. And this is spiritual experiences six six one. That evil spirits, or rather the devil's crew, desire nothing else than to destroy man, body, and soul, and also to torture him in a thousand ways, is made evident from manifold experience. Not only from those who have been with me in troops, and who have tried to do so in many nefarious ways, but also souls from in the hells, who take the greatest pleasure in successively torturing each other in a barbarous manner. And if this, this sensation were not intercepted by the Lord, the one who is being tortured would suffer unspeakable torment. And then again in Secrets of Heaven 695, The most intense pleasure of their life is to punish, torment, and inflict pain on each other. The devil's crew takes such passionate delight in doing this that if they could increase and intensify the pain and anguish infinitely, they would still not rest satisfied. They would burn to add another infinity of grief. So what we're gathering here is evil, to that extent, this is a really toxic thing. Hazmat suit required. You can't touch this stuff. There's people who get that inside them, just the things they begin to crave, the things they begin to do. This is like a complete antisocial tendency. How can, peop- how can the human race coexist with this stuff? And every... Every evil that we've experienced in life, every harmful thing that we've done to others or people have done to us, is actually an emanation from this sort of core of evil. In Secrets of Heaven 3340, Swedenborg describes uh, this encounter he had in the spiritual world. A spirit was once sent into the dark cloud the hellish spirits inhabit to learn how the situation stands with them, but angels from the Lord were protecting him. Addressing me from there, he said that the place was filled with an insane fury against everything good and true, and especially against the Lord. The fury was so strong that it astounded him to think it could ever be resisted. The spirits sought only hatred, revenge, and murder with such intensity that they wanted to destroy everyone in the universe. Unless the Lord constantly repelled their fury, the entire human race would perish. So there you have it. That's there, That's what we're up against. We want to aggrandize ourselves above all human beings. We want to torture people because that's fun. We want to destroy the universe. We want to destroy God. That's the mindset of people who have chosen this thing that Swedenborg calls hell, which is essentially selfishness to the extreme. So with that in people's hearts and minds. And we've all we've seen it in the worst of the worst actions that we've seen on this planet, that kind of bloodthirsty drive to destroy and to dominate. So how could you ever deal with that? How could you ever take it and make it so that it doesn't destroy the universe? Well, the mechanism that deals with that is the thing that creates what we would call hell on the other side. This this um series of places and states where people who are in those desires for evil exist. And you're going to see that actually it's through the complexity of that mechanism and the wisdom in it that God can take something this destructive and this uh, chaotic and turn it into good. So we're going to take a look at some of the specifics in part To look at what hell is, we have to first look at what hell is not, because it's not like Swedenborg is coming to us talking about something we've never heard of. The concept of hell is burned into the psyche, the cultural psyche of of many, many civilizations, including the majority of the West. So, we actually have to define it in opposition to that first, and the, the point I want to make initially is that hell is not revenge. And this is important because the traditional Christian concept of hell is that hell is essentially revenge. It's it's God's revenge against people who have transgressed, who have broken commandments, uh, or who have just failed to be Christians. And that you are being punished there. This is revenge. It's like the same thing of somebody makes me mad, so I want to punch them because that gets back at them. It's that same thing, just amped up. But Swedenborg says, it's the opposite of that. Hell is not revenge. So we've laid that out. Also, hell is not uncontrolled. There's, in, the, there's, uh, in the intro, we had those like renaissance paintings of hell, just like this total carnage. Everybody's ripping each other up, and it just seems like it just goes on and on. But actually, hell, according to Swedenborg, is tightly controlled, and only the things are allowed to happen that are conducive to a greater good. Actually, those first two things, that hell is being revenge and hell being uncontrolled, that's what hell wishes hell was. You know, that's what people who are in that mindset of hatred, that is their dream come true. That's what they want hell to be, because they want to punish people, and they want to do it as much as they want. But actually. God is the opposite of that, as we read in Swedenborg's Heaven and Hell 545. Uh, Some people cherish the notion that God turns his face away from people, spurns them and casts them into hell, and is angry against them because of their evil. Some people even go so far as to think God punishes people and does them harm. They support this notion from the literal meaning of the word, where things like this are said, not realizing that the spiritual meaning of the word, which makes sense of the letter, is wholly different. So the real doctrine of the church, which is from the spiritual meaning of the word, teaches something else. It teaches that the Lord never turns his face away from anyone or spurns anyone, never casts anyone into hell or is angry. And if you're just coming across Swedenborg, you might be saying, what is he talking about the spiritual meaning of the word? There he mentions uh, he's talking about the Bible, and we did a show that was called What the Bible Is. Check that out, because that's going to give you the lowdown on what he's talking about there. In essence, there's, a, there's a, a deeper, symbolic, essential meaning to the text, and in that meaning, you see the true nature of God, rather than the appearance you can see in the text. All right, continuing in Heaven and Hell 545, skipping a little ahead in that number. Anyone whose mind is enlightened perceives this while reading the words simply from the fact that the Lord is goodness itself love itself and mercy itself. Goodness itself cannot do harm to anyone. Love itself and mercy itself cannot spurn anyone because this is contrary to mercy and love and is therefore contrary to the divine nature itself. So people who are thinking with an enlightened mind when they read the word perceive clearly that God never turns away from us and that because he does not turn away from us, he behaves toward us out of goodness and love and mercy." That is, he wills well toward us, loves us, and has compassion on us. Pretty clear, God is love. God is not, doesn't matter what you do, God is not burning with rage against you, and God doesn't do that. You think about it, it would be impossible for God to be like that, because we judge people on how little they exact revenge on people. We say, if somebody's really like, oh, you're a bigger person than me, I would have, Whatever. You know, we say that if a person can stay off revenge, we honor them for that. Why wouldn't God be the best? Isn't God a bigger person than the best person we can imagine? So it wouldn't make any sense for God to burn with rage, especially against little human creatures that he invented and... and, and um, set some limits on. like It just doesn't, doesn't sit with anyone. So Swedenborg says what does sit with everyone, hopefully, which is God is love, and love doesn't want to hurt anyone. But does that... So does that mean there's no punishment? Do we have punishment in hell? Or, or is that all done away with? Well, actually, in Swedenborg, there's a lot of punishment that he describes. So where... How can we square these two things? How can there be God is love and there's hell and punishment? Let's take a look at Heaven and Hell 550 for some answers. Evil spirits are punished severely in the world of spirits to keep them terrified of doing evil. This too seems to come from the Lord, but still no punishment there does come from the Lord. It comes from the evil itself, since an evil is so closely united to its punishment that they cannot be separated. The hellish mob craves and loves nothing more than inflicting harm, and especially punishing and torturing. And they do inflict harm and punishment on anyone who is not being protected by the Lord. So when something evil is being done from an evil heart, since this rejects any protection by the Lord, evil spirits assail the evildoer and inflict punishment. So to put that in visual form, you have God, and God is always protecting every person. God doesn't want anyone to be harmed. God's protection is going out. However, if we do something as Swedenborg puts it evil from an evil heart means you're you're hurting people and you're doing it because that's what you want to do, not because you're misinformed or something like that. That that rejects God and in rejecting God, you reject the the barrier around you that keeps hell out and hell wants to punish everyone all the time so they rush in and punish you. And so, so that, that leads further. The more we reject love, the more you pull a hell closer to you, because like attracts like in that way. So the more you're bringing that on yourself, the deeper you get in. And actually, evil spirits, you'd think that, that evil spirits, which are like people who have died but lived a life of evil and now have come fully into choosing evil, you'd think that they would be lenient about evil right? They, hey, you like evil, I like evil, that's, you're, we're cool, you know, we're, we're buddies. It's actually the reverse, the way that Swedenborg describes heaven and hell. We'll show it for you here. Say that this is a little summary of me, okay? I have good qualities, I'm friendly, but I'm also lazy. Uh, I'm empathetic, but, I, you know, I have a temper. I once gave my seat up to a senior citizen, so I did something really good, but I also stole some gum, right? So this is that's bad. This is the story of my life. Here's the way that heaven and hell would see me. Heaven, Swedenborg says that angels actually barely notice the bad things about someone, and if they, when they do notice them, they try to put a good interpretation on them. That's what heaven loves to do. It doesn't want to judge people. It want to focus on. It wants to focus on what's good. It doesn't mean that they would never stop harm from happening, but they're not going to sit around and judge you and want to get back at you for everything you've done evil. However, hell, Swedenborg says, if hell is looking at me, they only see the evil stuff and crave an opportunity to punish me for it. They want me to do something evil because they know then I get to punish this guy. That's the hellish mindset. So in your head, when you're being made miserable about something, that's not the angels like, oh, we really don't like that guy. No, that's, that's hell trying to get you to be miserable because... That's what they love to do. We did a video about it called Your Brain is Spamming You. Check it out on our channel. It's a little bit about the kind of messages you can get, because as Swedenborg said, the mind is like an antenna that is tuned into both heaven and hell. We get uh, sort of our our thoughts and feelings affected by both. But, so that's a little bit about the nature of heaven and hell. But why, still I don't feel like I really understand why punishment is allowed. Like, I get it, okay, you can reject God's protection and hell always wants to punish so that, like, spiritually, physically makes sense, you know, like, if they're a force that's pushing in. But why why wouldn't God find some other way to stop you coming in to any sort of harm, right? Doesn't he love everybody? Wouldn't he want to stop all harm? Well, that's why we named this section the final language. Swedenborg says, we get into this state of extreme evil. This is not... This is not talking about, hell is not a place where people are who are sort of evil, but, but mostly good, or, or are conflicted. Or tor- Once you, you've chosen hell, you've pushed away everything good. So you're in this kind of rage that we talked about here in the first section, Hazmat Suit Required. So Swedenborg says, when you're in that state of mind, there's only one thing that you'll listen to, and that is the threat of punishment. And actually, he had an experience with a a few uh, people who had gotten into the next life and were tending towards evil. They were actually looking for marriages there, that they could go because they like to try to seduce the wives, break up the marriages. And so this is Swedenborg trying to deter those evil spirits from it.
2: And when I told them that it was not the same in this life as in the previous one, they were quite surprised at being in the other life. But soon forgetting, they continued looking for homes where they could continue lying in wait. I asked them whether they had any concern about spiritual sins in these matters, lest perhaps by those allurements the partner's love be estranged from that of her husband and which would therefore go against spiritual order. But they paid no attention to this, nor did they understand it. Further, I asked, were they not afraid of the law and the penalties the law prescribes, for it's already out in the open so that the couple knows that they want to perpetrate these wrongs? But about that, they didn't care at all. Then were they not afraid for their reputation, for thus they would be disgraced. But they did not care about this either. What they are like and what concerns them is seen at once by a spiritual mental image. So when I said, But what if, since the thing is known, they were taken roughly in hand by the household servants and then lashed with whips and, to be sure, more severely than they could ever have known of before? This was the only thing they feared. But still, forgetting everything that was said, they went on, and their inward thoughts were portrayed to me, which were extremely filthy, and the snares they were planning in their minds were enumerated, and they were of a kind it is not permissible to tell anyone.
0: So Swedenborg is saying this is how I saw it. You have people here who are looking to do something really harmful, and not only are they do they like doing it, they're they're constantly focused on it, and you can't get them to not do it. I tried to you know, speak to their fear of loss of reputation. I tried to say, don't you know this is going to hurt people? They didn't care. The only thing that gave them pause was, what if you get punished for this? So we, on in our societies, don't really have a way of dealing with that kind of evil. I mean, if you think about, a like, a serial killer or something like that, what we do is, is just lock them in a room in, until they die, you know, that that's or, you know, in a prison. But... If you're in a world where there is no death, then how do you deal with it, and how do you, as we'll see later, deal with it in actually a way that's better for the person than just being locked up all the time? So punishments have a role because they're the only thing they can get through. And we're going to look at what exactly does punishment and the fear of punishment do in hell? This is Spiritual Experiences 107.4. While these punishments do not actually take away the evil, they do have this effect, that when a spirit is about to do it again, he recalls the punishment. Thus he is scared off. So either fear or shame keep him from carrying out the evils. But when the fear or shame are removed, such spirits are the same as before. A punishment inflicted just once does not work with these spirits, but it is repeated many times so that it tames something in them each time. This usually happens over many years and many times. However, it's tightly controlled. You know, it only, can, it only happens as many times as is useful and in this just as much quantity-wise as is useful. And another reason is Secrets of Heaven, 967. When the evil are being punished, angels are always present, tempering the punishment and easing the anguish of the wretched. They cannot eliminate the pain, though, because everything in the other world is balanced in such a way that evil punishes itself. Unless wickedness was removed from wicked people by punishment, they would have to be kept in some hell forever." Otherwise, they would infest communities of good people and inflict violence on the system of order established by the Lord, which ensures the welfare of the universe. Two things worth noting. First is, this is actually, believe it or not, you know, in, in an imperfect circumstance, this is loving towards the people getting punished, because that's the only way this kind of behavior can be removed from them, and you've got to have that removed from you, or it's going to destroy you. And, as we saw at the end of that, it's going to destroy the rest of the universe. And hold that thought in your mind as we take a look at part three. We're going to begin this section, or this section is going to consist of looking at two things that hell does. We said that this show is called the good thing about hell. And the good thing about hell essentially is what hell does. The 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 functions of the mechanism that keep evil in check, but also flip it into something that's its opposite. And we'll see that here. So the first thing that hell does is reduce harm. So if we return to that Secrets of Heaven 967, let's just pull up the last sentence here from that. It says, this is talking about people immersed in evil otherwise they would infest communities of good people and inflict violence on the system of order established by the lord which ensures the welfare of the universe so the welfare of the universe relatively important thing hell is that kind of evil that we we're talking about in the beginning is mindless it doesn't care that it's going to destroy even the universe that it depends on it's just going to go and go so what 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 um the what the mechanism does is make it so that that is kept away from the general public. And we're going to show you a couple examples. These are a couple of places that Swedenborg visited uh, in his travels. These are different hells, and where he talks about groups of people devoted to evil and why they're kept separate from the public sphere. All right. So he talks about uh, there's beneath the foot of the grand man. Uh, so that's just a reference to the Swedenborgian way of organizing it. He says there's this big rock with mist around it. He says there are people living under it and the rock is a symbol and uh, the mist are symbols of their dreadful delusions and persuasions. And they are these are actually the, the Nephilim, if you watched our Noah episode, or the antediluvians who were perished before the flood, but that's a whole other story. They are kept apart from the world of spirits, and they're not let out because their delusions and toxic persuasions would deprive spirits from their ability to think. And if they were let out and got at people, their effect would be so bad that he says the human race would perish. And actually, Swedenborg says that he's had spirits like that, he got to feel a little bit of what their effect is like, and it just dr- sapped him of all the ability to do anything. Because these people, your mind, in the spiritual world, your mind affects the people around you, and these people have such a messed up way of looking at life that it just destroys the order in people's minds. So they have to be, and, and they, they, that's what they want to do, is destroy people's minds. So they have to be kept separate, because the human race would perish, so can't, can't have them out and about. Then the next one, he describes that there are spirits and devils that want to flow into people's minds and control not just their thoughts and feelings, but they also want to get in there and control their speech and their actions, but this is not allowed. The spirits who will and intend to control people in this way, he says these were cruel people, adulterous people, while they were in the world, they want to take over the whole body, but... The Lord makes it so that devils like this are not allowed into the world of spirits, but are kept in their hells. This is what makes it so they can still affect our minds, but not actually control our speech and actions. So they're not totally shut up, but in Swedenborg says that, you know, possession, like full body possession, this was a thing that could happen. You could have hell getting to use your body for locomotion and do whatever it wants with it. But he says that doesn't happen in the same way anymore. And the reason is... That these this particular group of evil spirit is shut into hell. So you can see hell as a protective mechanism. That's you know that's why we all get to run around with that kind of possession free. There's still the they there can still be a negative impact on the thoughts and the feelings, but not that full body control. And that's a result of the mechanism of hell. And then finally, there's people who had spent their life in hatred, revenge, and cruelty. And he says that they are kept in the deepest cadaverous hell and caverns. So it smells like dead bodies there, and they actually love the smell. And the Swedenborg and some good spirits got to smell what that was. They got that hell open just for a little while, and the smell came out. And those those spirits there actually appeared like little children, but they had behind their knife or behind their back a knife. And poison. You can't see it because we got our little thing over the edge of it there. But the, it and the reason they appeared like that is that they were trying to feign innocence. But yet they were gonna kill him. So they had to the smell was so bad they had to get sent back. It looked like through fire back into their hell. But it was bad enough that Swedenborg actually puked and the spirits that were around him fled. This is all written down. Hey man, I'm telling I'm telling you this secondhand. Swedenborg wrote this all down. He said that that was the nature of this smell. And that sometimes that that if you see our show about the nature of auras, what how you feel towards other people comes out as a smell. And if you're that viciously antagonistic towards other people, smells like dead body, and it's so gross, people can't be around it. And this is like, um, you know, in the Bible it says, the dead know nothing. That's spiritual death. Even if you are, you can be around and moving and thinking, if you have that little love, if you have that much hatred, that's a spiritual death. So that's why, those are a couple examples of why Hell has to be kept away from the general public, and that's one function of hell, is to keep those barriers there. But hell is more than just like a giant prison. There are functions in it. The second one we want to look at is that hell actually is able to bring good from evil. So that thing we described in the beginning is insane longing to destroy everything and subvert everyone and subject them to your rule. Divine wisdom can actually take that and turn it into good. Like taking the most toxic substance and turning it into some kind of clean energy. Divine Providence 26, uh, Swedenborg says, These useful functions are provided by the Lord through the union of what is evil and false that prevails among people in hell. Since the Lord's rule, which is not only over heaven but also over hell, is a functional rule. And the Lord's providence intends that there should be no one and nothing there that does not do some service or enable some service to happen. So the trick is you know, we we couldn't do anything with evil that's that intense, but God has the power to make it so that I can take this absolutely uncontrollable rage and actually use it for good. So how? What kind of good? Uh, Secrets of Heaven 6574. He talks about people who have become estranged from truth and goodness, as spirits who inflict times of trial have, intend nothing but evil, but the deity turns that evil to good in what has been the orderly way from eternity. And the result is life for people dedicated to truth from goodness. It's important to realize that hellish spirits who are permitted to attack the good in this way intend nothing but evil, since they want to drag the good down from heaven as forcefully as possible and throw them into hell. To destroy anyone's soul, that is to destroy anyone together, forever, is the central pleasure of their life. The Lord does not yield them an inch, though, except in order to bring good out of it. The good he seeks is to firm up and strengthen truth and goodness in people undergoing times of trial. The Lord has a purpose that radiates from him to reign supreme throughout the spiritual world and that purpose is for absolutely everything that happens no matter how small, to result in some good. So if you saw, we had a show that was called Why Bad Things Happen, I mentioned it before, but in that it talks about how, the, and we've, we've covered this in a few other areas, uh, about spiritual trials or shattering experiences where the things we go through, the hard things we go through, particularly the, the sort of storms we get in our hearts and minds, these are brought on by hell. And hell is just trying to wipe us out, but God is using that so that <clears throat> they're only there to help rid us of evil things. You know, like, we, you have to, like, hit bottom and see, I can't live like this, I can't have this in my life, and you can only do that if you really see the evil for what it is, and there's more in other episodes about it, but, so God is taking the impulse to harm us and actually just mitigating it enough that they just get us a little bit, which is enough to stimulate our rejection of evil overall and, and begin the healing process there. And actually... Evil spirits are not happy to know that they're part of this process. Spiritual Experiences Word Explained 39, Swedenborg says, "...I have been surrounded by turns by a multitude of many kinds and species of spirits, and even by some that had died many centuries ago, so that I might learn by the divine mercy of God the Messiah what the spirits are like and how they operate, and that God the Messiah arranges and controls them all entirely at His will." I have also and especially learned that no evil was ever injected by them or any falsity that was not wonderfully turned to good and truth, which both surprised those spirits and made them indignant, even angry. But the experiential evidence is more abundant than anyone could ever be brought to believe, for it has been continuous over such a long period of time, now nine or ten months. And that's actually, Swedenborg is writing that right at the beginning of his spiritual phase, when it had only been like ten months, it ended up being... 30 years or so. But isn't that interesting that their evil spirits say, hey man, you're, you're turning what I'm doing into good? I don't want that. They're actually upset about it. <clears throat> so that, that's what he says anyway. And I wanted to end on a, this this section on a weird note about trees. And I'd often thought... We had done a show before called How You End Up in Heaven or Hell, and it said that, the you know, the macrocosm, the spiritual world, and this is going to be a lot if you have never heard any of this, but I'll just barrel through it. The macrocosm of the spiritual world, heaven and hell, heaven is like a, a human body on the grandest scale. All the forms within us answer to functions there, so a sort of schematic human form, meaning the way that the human body works together in all its different systems, is the way heaven works together. and The way that food gets taken into the body or rejected is like the way people go into heaven or choose to not, or aren't nutritious, so they don't go into heaven. And I thought, well, if you have that side, wouldn't you have, you know, if you get out of the body, don't you become the fertilizer that then goes back into trees? Anyway, I found that in Swedenborg, he does say that. So that's a bunch of weird stuff. Let's read this number, and you'll see how it applies. Unfortunately, this is like the old translation of his... it's going to be a little bit hard to follow. See if you can keep up. When I treated concerning forms that therefrom is constituted the grand man, and therefrom the members or provinces are formed, that they and that they are not, who are not initiated to act in society as one to the Lord's glory are not in the grand man, I perceived indignation from the world of spirits, because they also were amongst those who constitu- they were not also amongst those who constituted the grand man, but the reply was made them at first to the evil that they cannot be therefore. They cannot be there before, like dung, they are cast on the earth. And thus that, like those things which serve for the sap of a plant or tree, have entered thence, then they can first be in society or in the tree. Is that all one sentence? Wow. The reply was made to others, also evil, that they cannot be considered in any other light than things which are let into the stomach and are again cast out thence as excrements, because they conduce not at all to nourishment. Such also would be the case when they had, were admitted into such choirs or forms. Certain ones still insisted that they wished to be in societies, which was permitted, but it was said that they could not be, because they are so gross. Gross not in the sense of, ew, gross, but course, on external. So that was just a whole weird thing. I shouldn't have put it in there, but I wanted to. The point is, if heaven is like a human body, hell is like parts of food that are unwilling to work in the human body, so are rejected like poop. But even poop, if you look at ecology, it can go, it can be recycled and used in plants, which are these other forms of society, so that evil has to be tamed and mitigated before it can be let into any kind of society. So those are—so forget that last part. The point of this section is we had two functions. Hell reduces harm. Hell also brings good out of evil. But there's a third function of hell, and we're going to look at it in part four. <clears throat> the, the third part of hell— is that hell is trying, it makes it so that the people in hell have the happiest life possible for people in hell. Which, this is the direct opposite of the hell, the hell that uh, is described by mainstream Christianity. The point of hell is to make it so people in hell are as miserable as possible. Swedenborg's hell, the point of hell is to make it so that people in hell are as happy as they can be. The the catch is you can't be that happy when your life consists of evil, but hell at least makes it so that people can have a a decent life. And you don't got to take it from me. This is right from the mouth of citizens of hell, as told to Swedenborg.
2: Forgive me for adding the following to fill out the rest of the page. By special permission, some spirits came up from hell and said to me, you've written a great deal that the Lord has given you. Write something from us as well. I answered, what should I write? They said, write that every spirit, whether good or evil, has his or her own delight. A delight in goodness for the good, and a delight in evil for the evil. I asked, what's your delight? They said that it was a delight in adultery, theft, fraud, and lying. I said, and do you find them pleasant? They said that they were absolutely delightful. I said, what else do you want me to write? They said, write this, that we are allowed to live in our own delights no matter how filthy they are, as some would say, as long as we do not harass good spirits and angels. But since we cannot help harassing them, we're driven off and cast into hell. I said, why do you harass good people? They answered that they couldn't help it. It was as though a rage came over them when they saw angels and sensed the divine aura around them. I said, this makes you like wild animals. When they heard this, a rage came over them that looked like blazing hatred. And to prevent them from doing any harm, they were taken back into hell.
0: Forgive me for writing this to fill out the rest of the page. That's how he ends one of his books, is with that. He's like, sorry, these guys really wanted to say this. I'm going to let them say it. And what did they want to say? As we've made this point before with this video, they didn't want to say, help, let us out of hell. They were saying listen, hell is cool, man. We get to do the, the terrible things we like to do, but there are some rules, but we're so insane we can't help breaking them. That, that that's essentially, hell is, think about it from the perspective of divine love. You have these people who have just chosen a horrible mode of life, and you know that there's going to be continuous frustration, they're not going to get to do what they want to do. How can we make it so that these people are at least As happy as they can be without letting them harm other people. So that's an example, but we're gonna get to a a more extreme example of it here. This is from True Christianity 661, and for this one, you gotta send the kids out of the room. Actually, you know what? Give Give them 50 bucks, tell them to go to the movies. I was gonna say 20 bucks, but movie tickets are like $90. So give them $180, send them to the movies, because they can't see this one. It's too scary. But this is an encounter swedenborg had with somebody from hell
2: then suddenly the ground to the left opened up and i saw a devil rising up from hell he had a square hat on his head that was pressed down over his forehead to his eyes his face was covered with a pustular rash as if he had a high fever his eyes were fierce his chest protruded misshapenly he was belching smoke from his mouth as if he was a furnace His groin was visibly on fire. Where his feet should have been, he had just ankles with bones but no flesh. His body gave off a rotten, filthy heat.
0: And that's spooky, but let me say a couple of things about his appearance. They're exactly that. All those features that Swedenborg described of this guy, those are correspondences. So he's on fire, he has no feet. It's not because he's being burnt up and his feet were cut off. These are images that are displaying what's wrong with him as a person. You know, that he doesn't have... Uh, the, his base principles so that his feet aren't there, the basic, the parts of human, the, the chest is, is misshapen because of the pride. This is all correspondence representations. He thinks he looks fine. Swedenborg says the people in hell, they don't know what they're, it's only in the light of heaven that you really see how messed up people are. So he, but he looks scary, and actually Swedenborg is so afraid he doesn't want him to come close, but this is the thing about evil. It's, it's scary, but once you start to see What this guy, what this guy believes in the kind of life that he lives, you see, like, he's a joke. He's ridiculous. Uh, And I'll let him tell you about himself.
2: When I saw him, I was terrified and shouted to him, Stay where you are, but tell me, where are you from? I'm from below, he answered in a rasping voice. I live there in a community of 200 people. It is the single most important community of all. All of us there are emperors of emperors, kings of kings, dukes of dukes, and princes of princes. No one there is just an ordinary emperor, king, duke, or prince. We sit there on thrones above thrones and issue commands to the entire universe and beyond. Are you aware, I asked him, that your fantasy about ruling the world has made you insane? "'How can you say such a thing?' he replied. "'This is exactly who we see we are, "'and our colleagues acknowledge it, too. "'When I heard that, I no longer wanted to tell him, "'You are insane,' because his fantasy actually had driven him insane. "'Eventually I asked him, "'The 200 of you there, "'how long are you going to keep up this boasting to each other?' "'Forever,' he said. "'Although those among us who torture anyone "'for denying their utter superiority do sink down, "'we are allowed to boast,' but not to harm anyone."
0: That sums up the totality of the hell experience. So here you have a person who has grabbed onto this really, really diabolical beliefs and, and urges. He wants to dominate everyone, he wants to be superior to everyone, and it's messed him up. You, you know, you could, Swedenborg saw how messed up he was, but he's in these delusions. We, we, we're, we're in the most important community in the world, nobody here is just like a regular emperor. Not, no one's so lame that they're a normal emperor, they're emperors of emperors, which Swedenborg says, this is ridiculous. You're, you're insane, and we can tell. I mean, it's it's laughable that that he would think that, but he doesn't want to be told. However, is Are there angels there saying, you know, bow down to God, you know, you're not the emperor, God is the emperor? No, it's it's essentially, okay, you guys can be down there and you can all pretend you're greater than everyone else and you can say I'm better than you and you can pretend you're ruling the universe, but there are limitations. Don't actually hurt each other. If you do that, then you have punishment. So that's quality of life. We're going to try to let you live your weird Fantasy, but it, you can't harm other people. When you do, then you get pulled down, and there's consequences. So it, that is a is a good explanation of the situation of hell. So that's the sort there's two primary evils that Swedenborg describes. He talks about love of self, which is the love of ruling, that, that was described in the beginning of the show, which that guy was full of. Then he also talks about love of the world, which means the love of money or of wealth. And this is a clip actually from a show we did called Eight Strange Places in the Afterlife, where Swedenborg goes and meets a group of people who are in the the, the extreme of love of the world. And you'll see it's a similar sort of situation with getting to live their fantasy but there are limitations so that that harm is not caused so here's his experience
3: with them after that a strong desire came upon the two angels and me to see people whose love for the world has brought them to a a craving in visual form or fantasy that they possess all the wealth in the world we perceived that they were inspired with this desire so that we would know more about this type of person Since their living quarters were not in hell itself, but were above it, just under the ground below our feet, we looked at each other and said, let's go down there. An opening appeared with steps leading down. We descended by them. We were told to make our approach from the east toward these people to avoid coming into the fog of their fantasies and experiencing its shadow both intellectually and visually. We came upon a house that was made out of reeds. There were cracks in it everywhere. It was surrounded by a fog that constantly poured out through the cracks in three of the walls like smoke. We went inside and saw fifty people sitting on long benches on one side, and fifty on long benches on the other. They were turned away from the east and south, and were facing west and north. They all had tables in front of them. There were bulging money sacks on the tables, and a great quantity of gold coins around the sacks. "'Is that all the money in the world?' we asked." No, they said, but it is all the money in the nation. Their speech had a hissing sound to it. Their faces were round and as red as a snail's shell. The pupils of their eyes were gleaming, and the rest of their eyes were green, an effect caused by the light of their fantasy. We stood in their midst and asked, Do you actually believe that all the money in the nation belongs to you? It does belong to us, they answered. To which one of you, we asked. Each of us, they said. How could it belong to each of you, we said, there are a lot of you. They replied, each of us knows all the money is mine. We are not allowed to think and certainly not allowed to say what is mine is not yours. We are allowed, though, to think and say what is yours is also mine. Even to us the coins on the tables seemed to be made of pure gold. When we let in light from the east, though, they turned out to be just grains of gold that the group had enlarged through a united effort of visualization. They said that each person who joined the group had to bring in some gold. They would cut that into small pieces, and then cut the pieces into individual grains. Then, through the single-minded power of their visualization, they would expand each grain into a larger coin. So you see some of the insane obsession of it
0: that we we know that this is, these are just grains, but we're going to make them look like more. And that you have it's it's falsity. Evil is falsity. Hell is falsity. So they their their worldview is just not logically consistent. They Swedenborg says, how can you all own all the money? You're, there's many of you here, and they say, well, each of us knows the money's really mine, which is, of course, can't be true for all of them. But there are limits, too. They're not allowed to say, "Your what's what's mine is not yours. There's there's always limits because no one is allowed in hell to get worse, and they're not allowed to harm people. So there, there, there are these limits there. But it's not like angels or somebody's coming in and saying, none of you have any money. What are you, stupid? You know, go worship God or something it's, okay if you th- if you want to take the whole magnitude of the human existence the p- the potential of the human heart and and uh, our our souls to feel community live together you want to reduce that to like pretending you have more money than people you can do it and we're going to let you have as much happiness there as you can but but you're missing out and that's the that's the real tragedy of hell is that it's such a limited existence uh we did this, there's a couple of instances where Swedenborg talks about how much greater heavenly joy is than hellish joy, which isn't really joy because it's always punctuated by suffering. People get in fights, people aren't content with what they have, there's no true peace in hell, but the peace in heaven is so much greater. We did a video called What Heaven Feels Like, this is a clip being read from Swedenborg where he talks about how much greater heavenly joy is than, than indulgence, which is what reigns in hell. I also perceived that joy and happiness seemed to come from my heart, gently permeating even the tiniest parts of my nerves. The sensations of this joy at the deepest levels made it seem as though each nerve was composed of nothing but joy and good feelings. The nerves seemed alive with happiness. The joy we feel in physical indulgence compared to these joys is like a coarse stinging dust compared with the gentlest breath of pure air. We may gather the magnitude of heaven's pleasure simply from the fact that for everyone there it is delightful to share their happiness and bliss with someone else, and since everyone in the heavens is like this, we can see how immense heaven's happiness is. For there is in heaven a sharing by everyone with each individual, and by each individual with everyone. The heaven is so much better, why wouldn't we just get hell out of here? Okay, get, get rid of hell, Like a push it way far away. We don't want its influence on anything. Well, in a way, it's, it's protection. It's to do good, you know, to help tease out the evil in us and actually purify us. But also, as you see, there's a thought for the evil people, too that this crisis is at hand may be gathered from various things in my experience. For at this day, the throng of evil spirits is so immense and their malignity so great as to be incredible. They could indeed, all of them, be driven away by the slightest force and even by the power of an infant. But in that case, the evil come into such tortures and into such a hell that it could not otherwise be than they should endure severer pains than would be conducive to their amendment and reformation. So there he's saying that, yeah, you could just blow them all away, but it would harm them beyond what's useful. You know, it would just be too much suffering for them to take. So there, there is that divine mercy there. That said, as we were mentioning before, heaven is a much, much better deal. Swedenborg actually got to feel the extremes of each. In, in Last Judgment 2.42, he says he got to feel the full potential of evil joy and then compare that with heavenly joy. He says, "...the quality of the delight of the love of commanding was perceived, namely that the sweetness within it is ineffable." So this is an evil love, but it feels really good. "...from this sweetness man believes that it is heaven and heavenly joy, when yet it is hell." This delight is also turned into what is direful. It is similar with the love of doing evil, the love of hatred and revenge, the love of theft, and also the love of adultery and their delights. Man does not know that when by means of reformation by the Lord these delights recede, then for the first time the delights of heaven enter in, which delights infinitely surpass the former. Nor does he know that in the delights of those evils are then nor does he know that the delights of those evils are then undelightful and stinging. Before Reformation, he does not know that such is their quality. So two things. Evil doesn't last. You know, it feels really good, but it sort of expires. But then also, heaven is so much better. Heaven is so, so much better that it, you would ne- if you actually got to feel both side by side, you would never choose evil. But if you reject heaven, it's only when the delights of evil recede that heaven is able to come in. And Swedeborg talks about these two delights in fairly comical language here in Divine Providence 40. There is no comparison between the pleasures of cravings for evil and the pleasures of desires for what is good. Because within the pleasures of cravings for evil lies the devil, and within the pleasures of desires for what is good dwells the Lord. If comparison is needed, we could compare the pleasures of cravings for evil to the pleasures of frogs copulating in a swamp or of snakes in a garbage dump. The pleasures of desires for what is good, though, can be compared to the pleasures
2: that lift our spirits in flower gardens.
0: No offense to frogs and snakes, they're living the life that's just right for them. It's just a metaphor for human beings. Let's lift our minds into the garden. So those are some of the the things that are about hell that are good as described by Swedenborg if this show was was not a hell for you would you please like and subscribe uh that will help this video get out there because i do think that the the idea of hell that right now is pervading things is harmful um it terrifies people but also it it calls up it, it fosters in people this desire for vengeance like you're going to go to hell you know and hell is punishment so I think this idea of hell could do a lot of good, so if you do these things, that can help push it out there. If you want to support the Swedenborg Foundation to help us do what we do, we're a nonprofit. We need you guys to donate when you can. Uh, that makes it so this engine can go, we can get these concepts out, so at least people have a choice to make as to what they want to believe, and I said we would do your questions and comments, and we're really going to do it on the other side of this very quick video break. said it and I meant it. Let's take a look. What do you guys think? Does that make sense? I know hell is like a charged subject, so what do you have to say about it? Let's take a look. Our very first comment today is from Adam, YouTube. Can you visit Earth when you're in the spiritual world, like oversee your funeral or anything? I think so. Uh, Swedenborg, but it it seemed like it was sort of an anomaly when it happened. He did talk about being spirits being able to see through his eyes. But he said that this was something that wasn't normal. Um, however, it does, I don't, I don't know. It did happen with Swedenborg. I don't know if it happens regularly with people now. Um, uh, he does talk about people being able to know about what's going on. But then again, he also says that spirits in the other world were often interested about what's going on on Earth. You know, they would say, what do people believe about heaven? They would ask Swedenborg, because he could go to both. So there was some lack of communication there. Uh, On the other hand, how many hands have I done so far? On the other hand, you do have people being contacted by their loved ones after they die. This is a pretty widespread phenomenon. So it seems that at least people can get in touch. So my final answer after all that is, I don't know if you can just fly around when you're, you're actually dead and see this world. You'll certainly get experiences, uh, George Ritchie, near-death experience that he wrote about. He was flying around the, the base where he was, so it's likely, but I don't know. So the answer is I don't know. Okay, all right, over 1. Let's see what the next one is. Cortland, Swedenborg states that the hells were filled with Christians during his time. Is it possible for those who read and acknowledge his writings to end up in hell? If so, how does one avoid such a state? Uh, yes, absolutely. You can, doesn't matter what you read, doesn't matter what you know, that doesn't make you go to heaven or hell. Heaven and hell is completely about what you love. You know, Swedenborg says, yes, exactly, that that hell was full of Christians, because the, the Christian church in Swedenborg's time was churning out people who were not in the life of love uh toward their fellow human beings, which is the life of heaven, and that very much trumps your doctrine or your beliefs. He said that people who who had never heard of Jesus Christ, they did just fine in the next life if they had love in their heart. So if, if you're reading Swedenborg's writings, even if you learn a lot of really good stuff, if you don't let that penetrate and change you into a kind person, if you're not living with love for others, if you're still nurturing feelings of superiority or love for revenge or any of these negative loves, that's what stays with us. It's not what we know, because in the next life, what we love overpowers and, and sort of shuts out what we know. So Swedenborg stuff is only useful if it makes you do positive life change. Watching this show really only is useful if, in the end, it brings you towards love towards the human race, so that 's what I think about it anyway great question let's take a look at the next one Grace are there different types of hell stages like there are in heaven? Yes, and Swedenborg says that they actually mirror the heavens so there are that Swedenborg describes three heavens a natural spiritual celestial he also describes three hells that that are directly in opposition that the the lowest hell is opposite to the the spiritual heaven and he actually says that the The middle hell is more of an intellectual hell. This is more run on false ideas, so this would be like I you know an evil heart, but that 's caught up in false ideas. but the lowest hell is just about um desires to harm and He actually calls people in the middle hell evil satan's and then the lowest hell demons and then there's evil spirits up a little bit higher so uh, or evil spirits can at times be a blanket term for all three so theres are different hell stages like heaven and whereas heaven the three levels of heaven are levels of opening of the mind hell is levels of closing the mind and and turning inward so that's what he has to say about it great question next one jacob is hell permanent because i feel like some spirits would get tired of being evil that's a great question and i don't know the answer you would think you would think no how could hell be permanent i mean how does without how would god sit still with hell being permanent um you know it But Swedenborg seems to make statements to each effect. As we saw in the show today in Secrets of Heaven 967, I think that was the one, he says, if people weren't reformed in this way, they couldn't help but being locked up in some hell forever, which seems to indicate that you can get out of hell. Same thing with that tree statement, that you can't be in society until you go down and become part of the tree. However... In other parts later in Secrets of Heaven, he says, you can't change your, your basic nature after death. We form it here in the world, you can't change it after death. So if you turn towards evil, you don't get tired of it, you keep doing it. So I don't know. I would imagine somewhere in the divine plan there would you'd want to rescue everyone, but Swedenborg seems to make statements towards both, and certainly doesn't say, oh yeah, everyone will get out of hell eventually. There's places where it seems very much like you stay there. So I would be curious, that would be a question, you know, if I ever happen to meet God, uh, I would ask that for sure. So that shows it's a really good question. All right, so there's my thoughts on that. Let's take a look at the next one. Kendall, so what does Swedenborg say about the final judgment? Is that a correspondence? If so, what? Yes, we actually have a show coming up on the the final judgment. Yeah, it's it's an, it happens individually with every person. There's not a last judgment like God is coming down whenever. Some people thought it was going to be last year. God is coming down. That's when he pulls everyone. There's a couple things it can mean. It can be the individual judgment, our own judgment processing after death, where we choose heaven or hell based on the kind of life we're leading in in the world now. There are also are last judgments that, that Swedenborg talks about, where the spiritual world actually is rearranged, and we're going to actually be talking about this a bit when we do our Easter show coming up, but where there is kind of a shaking out. There's actually, he says at one point, hell was taking over the lower parts of heaven, and a judgment in Swedenborgian terms just means movement. So he moved all the hells out of heaven and reallocated them. And like in our show today, we saw there was these evil spirits that wanted to possess people that used to be able to do it, but now they're shut up in hell. That would have been a result of, of a judgment at some point. So there's a couple, there's a lot, there's, there's always correspondences on a personal level and then on a bigger level and then on a divine level. So it means a few different things, but we're going to be doing some shows on that coming up. Okay, next one. You think hell is a state of mind and heaven is a state of being. I, you know, he- heaven is more expansive. So if we're going to say a state of being, you know, like, your whole self is there, rather than just just in hell, your, your thought concepts are messed up. You could say that. Hell is limited. It's like y- you only are just looking through a... Swedenborg describes it as in hell, you're like in the basement of a house, just looking at a little window at the bricks of the next house, whereas in heaven, you're up on top of a tower looking out over the whole landscape. So hell is infinitely more constricted uh, than heaven. So that it's it's a good question those are my thoughts. Next one. FCOGZA, are there people who are irremediable going to hell or is there something we can do to prevent that and take them to heaven or at least to the world of spirit speaking of persons that we love. Exactly. Yep. If if you start to go around talking about oh there's hell and people are going to go there, you you immediately think oh I don't want anybody I know to to be cut off from communication. So, I don't know. I mean, there's always, like, the you're trying to help people on the straight and narrow. You know, you're trying to say, don't do this. But it's hard, because you can't always influence people. Um, so, uh, I mean, Swedenborg does talk about people still being able to communicate, even if some are in heaven, some are in hell. So It's not like you'd ever lose communication with people, but that that particularly does bother me, because I don't want—if this is all true, as Swedenborg says— I don't want to lose anybody, so I would say the best thing you can do is live a life of a heavenly sort of life, so that people can see it and be inspired by it. You have a lot of people who are who see a lot of like false religiosity. You know that that people who are saying, "Oh yeah, I love I love God," but um, but they act completely mean to each other. That turns people off and pushes them away. So the more you can be a good a good example. That's the best that that I think any of us can do. There may be more. It may be that we are elements of people's reformation. You know, it could be that a relationship can help pull somebody in that direction. I don't know, but I'm glad that you're asking that because that's that's the right place I think for for a heart to be minds there too. So hopefully, um, the more that good concepts spread. The less people even want to go to hell and, and nobody has to get separated. So it's a great question. Next one. Justin, what denomination does Swedenborg align with the most? <clears throat> well, I I'm assuming you're meaning Christian denomination. I mean he was a Protestant, but he's so he was so so much a reformer of Protestantism in his day that you couldn't really put him in there. And also, there's so much, he he aligns with Buddhism. I mean, you had D.T. Suzuki, who brought, you know, Zen Buddhism to the West, writing a book called Swedenborg, Buddha of the North, because he saw so many parallels with Swedenborg and, and Buddhism. Uh, you have people saying that Mormonism is similar to Swedenborgianism. Some people think Joseph Smith read Swedenborg, because Smith came afterwards. But that I haven't... I'm not a Christian scholar by any means, but, but I find that there's so much in Swedenborg that you don't find anywhere else in Christianity that you find it in, in um, near-death experiences, New Age kind of stuff. Swedenborg is sort of this c- crossroads of all these different types of belief system. I think that's why so many people have a hard time getting into him, because he's too Christian for the non-Christian people. He's not Christian enough for some people, so it's hard to lump him in with any category, I would say Swedenborgian denomination, but even he didn't like that term, he, he thought, no, this is true Christianity. So it's really, it takes elements from each, but he's he's so much his own thing. So those are my uneducated thoughts on that. Next one, Barb N., <clears throat> why the separation of evil from the good in the world of spirits, but not on earth? Great question. Our show, Why Bad Things Happen, touches on that, and we we, di- we also touched on it in this show a bit, that evil is allowed to bring good, that, that all of us, the reason that, that good and evil are mixed here is that in this world we're all a mix of good and evil. You don't have to take my word for it. We know that sometimes we're very kind and loving, sometimes we have these negative tendencies. There are both good and bad things within us. If we lived in a world with no evil, we would never get that, um, that brought up to us, we could never rid ourselves of that but i think now that i'm answering it you probably are talking about why don't all the nice people live west of 15th street and then the evil people because we don't know who's good and who's evil because it's chaos you know and and that's that's one of the that's one of the issues everything is mixed together that's why there is so much pain and suffering because there's no physical principle that pulls people apart like that we have to try to and we try to like oh, we can tell you're a criminal, so we'll put you somewhere, but that doesn't always work, because we don't always identify the right people as criminals, and we miss the, you know, so it's, there has to be a mechanism, you know, so it's up to us to hopefully push evil, not not even push evil people out, but just push evil out of the human mind, so that that way you know you're living near good people, because everyone's good, But but that is, that's one of the side effects of having hell in the first place, is the earth, everything gets pushed together, because you can't just separate it out neatly because people are still in development and they need to choose one or the other. And if we don't have that freedom, we can't choose. But that's really a lot of that falls under the... I'm pointing here because that's where the overlay was back in the day. Why bad things happen show is our, our best stab at that. So let's do a couple more here, two more. Suzanne, so do, so evil spirits are punished, but if after punishment they change, can they go to heaven or are they kept in hell forever? So I that was that's similar. Um, it seems like there are some people who are who are reformable, and Swedenborg says these these go down into something that's called the lower earth, which is not hell, but it's surrounded by hell. It's similar, but they are eventually freed from their evil and are brought up to heaven. He seems to say other people stay down there, but then it, on the other hand. He talks about people who are immersed in the worst evils in hell, and he says, the punishments they go through, he says in no other way can the life of evil be removed from them. So I don't know why the life of evil will be removed if they're never going to be brought up or, or somehow remade or something. There is a, a Swedenborg passage where it says they have not yet been remade, so I don't know. He sometimes seems clear, nobody can move, but then he has these sort of breadcrumbs that seem to lean in the other direction, so again... I don't know. Let's see what I can do with the last question. Shemaine. <clears throat> Shemaine, yeah. My autistic cousin delights in all things rebellious and has no empathy, but wouldn't death heal his autism and make him better? Could he heal in heaven and go to heaven? Right, so no, nobody is reformed. We're only reformed in a true state of freedom. We can only make our heaven or hell choice in a true state of freedom. If you have some kind of physically-based condition, like autism, or or even like a mentally one— mentally based or spiritually based condition, where you don't really have the same level playing field, you're not You're. you're not going to be held accountable for that. So if somebody has some kind of condition that's making it so that they can't, it's hard for them to recognize the feelings of others, no, they're, they're not ju- judged by the same standards. See, the only thing that makes something stick with us in life is chosen in a state of freedom. So... I don't Swedenborg doesn't uh, you know, autism wasn't a diagnosis in his day. He doesn't mention that specifically, but just think about what's fair. I mean, is is that right? You know, if somebody can't help it. Of of course, that's not their fault. So God knows that, and God is not looking to punish people. So there's always going to be a mechanism for people to to get all the chances they can possibly have to choose what's good. And so we have those choices here. Hopefully we're all making them too. That's the end of the question segment. Thank you very much, everybody. That was fun. Uh, Sorry I couldn't answer them all very well, but that's what we expect. Come hang out next week. We're going to be talking about the meaning of Easter. We're going to be looking at some of the deeper uh, underlying meanings of it. Why why do we have the things we have surrounding Easter? So hopefully that's going to be exciting, and uh, I'll see you next week.